think that there's kind of two really important things and that's one, recognizing what you enjoy doing and two, what you're good at that falls under that and kind of putting those two together because there's a lot of things that I'm good at that I really don't enjoy doing and it took me a really long time to figure out that I don't have to do it just because I'm good at it. You're listening to Well-Fed. I'm your host, John Sarantino, a designer based out of New York, and on each episode, I sit down to talk with one of my creative heroes, individuals whose work, style, and ideas I admire and continue to be inspired by every day. We discuss their past, present, and everything in between. Hey, before we start, I'm trying out something new this season, and I need your help. I'll be releasing episodes every Tuesday until the final episode, and I'll be keeping my fingers crossed that I can keep up. I would love to get your feedback after every release, and I'll be giving away stickers and pins to everyone that helps out as a thank you. All you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts or share the podcast on social media. Take a screenshot and DM it to me on Instagram or Twitter at WellFedPodcast, and I'll send you some good old-fashioned snail mail. With that, enjoy the episode. On this episode, my guest is designer, art director, and writer of the newsletter and creative resource, OMGLord.com, Gabby Lord. Hello. Gabby, thank you so much for joining me today on this episode and uh, bearing with me as I struggle through that intro. <laughs> no worries. It's a Saturday morning, so. Yes. Um, thank you for having me at the Character Studio here uh, in beautiful Dumbo. Gabby, it's pretty clear that you're Australian. <laughs> I'm sorry. And no, 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 no. no. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. But I'm curious if there are any phrases or slang terms or even nicknames for Australia that... Americans will just never, ever know of unless they kind of go there firsthand. Oh, I mean, I actually feel like this is something that I'm continually learning. I'll say something and my coworkers or friends here will just be like, wait, what? Can we just rewind? What did you say there? Um, hmm. Am I allowed to swear on this? Absolutely. Okay. We're well, adults. There's like a saying that we're not here to fuck spiders. <laughs> I feel like that throws people sometimes. Uh, it's not something that I say that often because sure. the reaction is usually pretty weird. That's but, a uh, really good one. Yeah. What does that what does that mean necessarily? Like if you're like mucking around maybe or you know like we're here to get shit done kind of thing. Okay. Like we're not here to today recording this podcast. We're not here to fuck spiders. We're, to, we're here to record a podcast. Business as usual. Yeah. <laughs> um, you grew up in Australia, born and raised. Yes. Um, what was it like as a young Gabby Lord? Oh, um, I mean, I think I had a pretty average childhood. I guess I grew up in Tamworth, which is a more regional city in Australia. So when people are always like, oh, where are you from in Australia? Like Sydney or Melbourne? Like there's yeah, only right. two cities in the whole place. But yeah, Tamworth is the country music capital of Australia. Country music is yes. big in Australia. In well, yes and no. I mean, <laughs> it's big in Tamworth anyway, for at least 10 days of the year anyway. So it's pretty fun, but can't say that I love country really. Um, That's okay. Yeah. So even though I grew up in the country, I was pretty keen to move to Sydney and get to city living and haven't really looked back since. But Tamworth and obviously my family still lives there, so it'll always have like a soft place in my heart. When you decided to, as you were growing up, when you decided to make that move to the city, was that uh, for school or anything like that? Or was you just kind of decided to pack your bags and say, mom, I'll be back in a couple of years? Uh, no, I never said I'd be back. <laughs> <laughs> not, for, not to live anyway. Well, there's no university in Tamworth. So I always knew that I wanted to do design and that that would require either, either moving to Sydney or Melbourne. 
Um, so I kind of knew pretty early that I was going to be leaving like the second I turned 18. So that's pretty much what I did. How did you decide that you wanted to follow design and, and, and go to school for that? I mean, I hate when people say this, but I was a creative kid, I guess. Like I was always making and tinkering with stuff. And totally. um, I liked art, like I liked drawing and that kind of thing, which I don't really do any of now. <laughs> uh, I definitely don't consider myself an artist, but I definitely was like good at it as a kid and something that I definitely enjoyed doing. Um, and I think when you're good at that, you just, people just automatically kind of put you in that box of like, oh, you're gonna do this or, yeah, I don't know. I just, I didn't really know what design was, but in my head I was like, these are connected, even though in hindsight, now they're not really at mm -hmm. all. Um, but you wanted to follow some kind of creative path at least or continue to do those things that you were enjoying. Yeah, I actually was really good at this thing called PDHP. I don't know if this what? is a- PDHP, is that a coding it, language? Yeah, no, really? <laughs> it sounds like one though. It's like personal development and physical education. Okay. So like if you wanna be like a physiotherapist or psychologist or this kind of thing. So I actually got accepted into psychology as well as design, but I chose to go into design. Was the, so it's called PDHP. Yeah. Was that sort of like, I. I I've never heard of that, so yeah. it's, I don't know how to ask questions about yeah. that now. Yeah, it's basically just like gym class, I guess, would be the American equivalent, only oh, okay. you're learning about like health and like how to strap an ankle or how to deal with an injury <laughs> or okay. yeah, like if you were going to become like a sports physician or something like that, that's kind of like the class that you would take. And again, two really kind of unconnected things, but sure. art and PE were like my two I guess, things that I was good at in school Callings anyway. in life. Yeah. <laughs> was there anyone that, you know, as you were younger, that sort of ignited the creative spark for you? You know, that, I guess, like, I remember, if I think about that kind of, like, weird moment, yeah, I was a creative kid. I remember, like, I would draw, and my mom would just let me continue for hours, you know, and would never interrupt me or anything like that. And I think having that kind of space to just draw for hours and go through crayons and break them and make a mess, like... What I would say is what kind of led me to that. Was there anything like that for you? Honestly, not really. No, like no one else in my, f I guess my aunt was a artist and she definitely encouraged me. And I guess my parents did too. But I feel like in very distant ways, like even people that I had, you know, died when I was very young, like my great grandfather was a calligrapher and I always loved that. That's and cool. I found all these drawings that he had done, um, you know, when I was just born kind of thing. Um, so I feel like there were always like little things around the house that inspired me, but my parents, they probably don't consider themselves creative, but I think that they are in their own way. And I think that even though it wasn't necessarily that they would draw or do something, you know, the output wasn't necessarily the same. I feel like their kind of attitude towards creating space for the things that are important to you was definitely impactful. Um, so you, you eventually make your move to Sydney. Yes and to go to school for design, follow that up. You went to a school called Billy Blue. Yeah. <laughs> design sent something like yeah, that, right? Yeah, it sounds ridiculous. Do you know anything about Billy Blue, the person? Oh gosh, I do. And now I'm gonna go completely <laughs> blank, but it is a person oh, and I'm gonna get this all wrong. So I think I wanna try and avoid. I have avoid. a few tidbits I here. I think it's, but... a, it's a, 
He was a convict? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was a convict. Yeah. <laughs> he was actually born in uh, Jamaica, Queens. What? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Well, this is all Wikipedia, okay. so it could be just urban legend at this point. But Billy Blue, the school that you went to, the school that's named after him, uh, he was a convict, and he made his way to Australia through the uh, serving in the British Army. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> we were told this at one point, but it's one of those things that's just like really glazed over. So I'm glad I at least got one thing right. Although <laughs> guessing that someone in Australia is a convict isn't really <laughs> like. Um, what was the what was the, your experience in, in going through a design school? You know, what was the journey for you? It was incredibly stressful. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like everyone talks about college like this really fun time. And it definitely was. But I personally found it very stressful. I was very... Uh, fixated on grades and stuff, doing well, like basically having like the tick of approval from a lot of my lecturers. Um, but I also had an incredible group of peers. And I think that that was really integral to my uni years. And even today in, in the sense that we all pushed each other to be really good, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were really motivating and still are. Like I'm still friends with most of the people that I went to uni with and they're all working in the industry in multiple different countries now. And I think to this day, like they're still like really influential. Are there any designers or any people that you want to shout out that I could maybe go back and look at later? Definitely. Um, So when I went to kind of the three people that we were, that were my best friends during that time and we spent a lot of late nights together was Josh Davey. Mm -hmm. Um, He's working in user experience design (laughs) as I mean, Sydney there. I mean, they're all in Australia. And then, Uh, Flick Erickson, she is in Melbourne. She's Swedish. She's an incredible brand designer. And then Penny Byer, and she is kind of, she's shifted into more of a UX role as well, and she's working at a university in Perth. That's cool. Yeah. One of the first roles as a designer kind of internships I saw was at a letterpress and design shop. Mm -hmm. And... um, it's cool that you mentioned it, that your grandfather was a calligrapher. And I think of a letterpress shop as like dealing with typography, like just a lot. Yeah. What was, um, how, how did, how was that for your first internship? Um, it was really fun. It was, um, yeah, this place called the distillery and it was learning a lot about production and press and print files and edge painting. And it was very tactile. Like I think I was more of a production assistant than design per mm-hmm. se, Uh, which was definitely super interesting um, in terms of the production side, like for print, especially learning a lot about that as a, as a student who didn't really have any experience in making anything real. um, I think it was really eye opening. Especially when, in my experience, the projects that you end up doing in school are always through like laser jets and you're just like redoing it over and over again. Whereas in this letterpress kind of uh, environment, you're doing, I'm sure, larger formats, smaller formats as well. The variation between each project can kind of Uh, widen it was a lot of business cards from memory (laughs) um but like constantly checking people's phone numbers to make sure their phone numbers were correct because i'll never forget this one girl right before her it was a student as well it was like right before her grad show and she spent hundreds of dollars on like a three color letterpress job and she messed up her phone number and i wanted oh my god i felt so bad for her (laughs) yeah i mean i've been in a similar situation where it wasn't on you, so that was good, but it was on her, and I'm sure she just, yeah. her, her stomach must have just fallen. I know. That's kind of tough, yeah. <laughs> especially three-color letterpress. Yeah. I think around the same time, um, you come in contact with Creative Mornings or you start organizing for Creative Mornings. I've actually just learned about Tina and Creative Mornings as a whole in the last, like, two years okay. and actually spoken to a guest on this season about it. Mm-hmm. How did you come in contact with the organization? So I used to go a lot as a student. I was 
basically would go to every single event possible in Sydney. Um, I think when you, because I didn't grow up there, I was like, didn't really have any friends when I first moved there. So mm -hmm. the design industry was definitely where I found my people. So yeah, I started attending the events, but then um, when I got my first full-time job outside of uni, it was at a place called Houston Group. And one of the senior designers there, Maggie Tang, uh, she was organizing the event and I was the junior designer wanting to like help out as much as I could. And um, yeah, I was like, oh, I'd love to volunteer. And then um, eventually joined the organizing team who was um, Flynn Tracy was running it at the time. So yeah, Maggie, um, Flynn, Max and I were all running it in Sydney. And it was, yeah, it was an amazing time actually. I can imagine learning a lot, meeting a ton of different people, not only through the events, but the, the people that are visiting and coming in and connecting as well. Um, what are some of the takeaways that you had with that? Just how important community is, I guess. Mm -hmm. And what an incredible platform it can really be to like, you know, launch other people's voices as well. Like as a pretty junior person at that time, it was really amazing to have a platform to be able to reach out to people and kind of approach them and ask them to come and speak. and start a dialogue with people that may have seen like kind of out of reach during mm -hmm. that time. Um, but if anything, I think it really just told me that no one is actually out of reach. Like everyone's just an email away and most <laughs> people are more than happy to reply. Um, so yeah, it was a really good learning experience. Emails are one of the easiest ways, but at times I find that I'll send an email, look back and I'll be like, why did I spell that word wrong? Or like, <laughs> why do I have an I after like, a, I'm just like, I sound, I don't know. I was just like typing with my hands glued together or something. Mm -hmm. um, you're part of Creative Mornings. I was also able to find that you ended up working with one of my favorite design studios out in Australia. <laughs> yeah, Christopher Chris Doyle, Doyle yeah. and Co. Everyone says this, yeah. He, his, the work that the studio produces is, is, I think I have an appreciation for his focus on messaging and copy and typography. I mean, I think you and I share a similar interest with big, bold type, like making sure that we're tagging type foundries on social media when we can, you know, what was that like to, first of all, how did you, how did that come about? So going to a lot of the design events as a student, he, Chris was obviously, he spoke at a lot of them. Um, and I would just go up to him and constantly introduce myself and he would, he did forget. Reintroduce yourself. Yeah, I reintroduced <laughs> myself. I'd be like, we've met before, so you're going to keep remembering me. And I would give him so, such a hard time. And he's honestly like very good at that kind of thing, like remembering people's faces. And he puts so much effort into the design community. I just love giving him shit about it. Um, but I originally came across him at a conference called AG Ideas in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I just really loved his talk and anyone who's seen him do public speaking probably relates. Like mm -hmm. I'm yet to meet someone who hasn't enjoyed one of his talks. Um, and then I think he was at Interbrand while I was at Houston and when he decided to set up his own shop, um, he was working, yeah, mainly by himself. And then when I decided to quit my full-time job and go freelance, he just actually just reached out to me on Twitter and was like, hey, do you want to like do two weeks for me? That's and then awesome. two weeks turned into six months. And then I left for Berlin, which he was super supportive of. And I'm kind of glad that I had already decided I was going to do that because I think had I had gotten a job from him before that, I probably wouldn't have left Australia. Sure, yeah. Um, but he's still like to this day, like so supportive of all of my creative choices and life choices in general. Um, so yeah, we're still really tied and it was a really amazing experience. That's awesome. You mentioned that you eventually moved to Berlin. Yes. And you spent four years there. I did. Um, Don't ask me to speak German, please. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. But you said that you, you made the decision while you're, I guess like, you know, working with mm -hmm. uh, Christopher 
it was just to leave Australia? You were just like, I got to get out of here. Kind of, yeah. Like, I... Hmm. It's hard to not, like, reflect what I currently think about it onto that mm. what that thought process at the time. But I think that I just really knew that I wanted to work overseas. And, yeah, it just kind of seemed like I was hitting this point at my full-time job where I was not necessarily creatively satisfied. And I was like, I hey, maybe it's time to kind of go overseas. And how I originally thought that was going to happen is that I entered a competition to uh, win a trip to do an internship either in New York or um, this place called Fabrica in Italy. And mm. I ended up winning the one for Italy. And I went to Italy and I really didn't like it. And then I went to visit uh, my friend Maggie who was in, who had moved to Berlin. This was the same senior designer who introduced me to Creative Mornings. Mm. Um, so we stayed in, in contact when she moved to Berlin. And then when Fabrica didn't work out, I was just like, I don't really need this place to move. I can just kind of do it anyway. So I was like, oh, I'll just come to Berlin because I've got some friends here and see what happens. I didn't necessarily intend to stay there. It was just kind of easy to get a visa. And I was just like, oh yeah, why not? I don't speak German, but <laughs> sure, this seems like a good idea. And yeah, I definitely had no intention to stay there for four years. That still surprises just me that I grew. stayed there. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm surprised. So was it that you just didn't like Italy or didn't like Fabrica? Italy is great for vacation. Okay. It's, it's an amazing holiday destination. Pizza, pasta, Italians, what's not to I love? feel like it's the only place that I could eat pizza every day. Yeah. And never feel like one ounce of like any sort of guilt. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's Like physically and mentally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's good for vacation, right? Yeah, you don't want to ruin so. that. You want to taint that. I guess um, so. And yeah, for me, it was like a combination of things that is kind of a, a longer story. Sure, of <laughs> but, course. But uh, yeah, I think that Italy's definitely not the place for me in terms of work. Um, German work ethic was kind of more aligned <laughs> with what I had in mind. Sure, yeah. Sure. I kind of dug into some of the blog posts that you might have written mm -hmm. uh, during this time of, of being in Berlin, and, and I came across this expert, there are three types of people that move abroad. Those who want to lose themselves, those who hope to find themselves, and those who choose to invent themselves. Which one, or is there an, uh, an element of all of those that uh, you think you might identify with? I would definitely identify with all of them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think I did definitely lose myself a little bit in Berlin. I think I found sides of myself that I wasn't expecting, but mm -hmm. I think maybe the biggest draw of moving abroad for me was that idea of creating a life of my own choosing and figuring out like what else was out there and and what I wasn't seeing in terms of the fuller picture of the world. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned that you had a friend out there and we sort of talked about how Creative Mornings was that community for you in Australia. Were there things that you were doing or, or events that you were going to out in Berlin as well to kind of build that sense of community? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was very different. I feel like the expat community was incredible in Berlin and it still is. It's a very transient city. So your friends are from everywhere all over and it's kind of harder to find a proper Berliner in the same way it's hard to find a proper New Yorker here. Sure, yeah. This um, is very true in New yeah. York. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but for some reason Berlin feels more transient than New York. I feel like in New York people do end up staying. Like they'll mm -hmm. come for a month and 10 yeah. years go by. Whereas, and I don't <laughs> really think that's as the case in Berlin. But yeah, Creative Mornings exists in Berlin. Mm -hmm. um, there was also this amazing thing called Typo Berlin, a conference there. It, um, I don't think it's on anymore though, but I used to do uh, work on the editorial team there. Cool. So it was the same kind of 
thing that I usually do. I just sign up for a bunch of stuff and hope to meet a bunch of cool people through it. And it hasn't let me down so far. Yeah. So. I, I I remember as a kid trying to sign up for all this. I mean, this is not the same as an adult, but like in high school, I'd sign up for all the school organizations, go to them. And about after a week or two, like five of them fall off to the side. And you're like, yeah. oh, I'll stick with like these two. It's like yeah. gaming club and like whatever. <laughs> um, I know, you know, I wasn't going to ask about your German, but I was hoping that you could tell me what the word Prost means. It means cheers. Cheers. And that is like very much used when you're out like hanging out at a bar and drinking and things yeah. like that. Yeah, which exactly. Is very big in that area. Yes, it um, is very important. You, I think, also start the newsletter, mm-hmm. OMG Lord, mm-hmm. while you're in Berlin. Yes. And this is sort of uh, grown into a bigger thing in some ways. We're, we're having a hard time of what it is exactly. Yeah. But where does the newsletter start and how does that kind of allow you to grow and, and what has that been for you? Yeah, so moving to another country in the beginning, you don't necessarily have a lot of friends. Uh, so I kind of started as just a bit of a side project as well. Um, I think as well, I was someone who was constantly like sharing links with friends and having all these resources and information and like not necessarily having an outlet for that didn't really feel right to post it on Twitter or I don't know just like I didn't really have a space for the kind of content that I was collecting and wanting to share with my own perspective on it I guess and then yeah so I started the newsletter in an attempt to be a better blogger almost like I hate using the word blogger because I just was never that Mm -hmm. but I knew that I wanted to start writing more and have some accountability for it. And a weekly newsletter kind of seemed like that accountability that I was lacking and really needing at that time. Do you remember what the very first email was? Yes. What was it? I don't know. Like the, the, the <laughs> I remember the resource in it. It was uh, one password, and it was it was basically just like a you know a hello world type type email. I think the first one. But I remember the resource of the week was existed from the very first email and it's still in the newsletter today. Gotcha. Yeah. I've signed up, I think, a while ago and tweeted you when the site went down. The orig- So it's an email newsletter and then it was also a bunch of links on your personal site. Mm-hmm. And I remember on Twitter, I was like, uh, this is down, what's going on? And since then it's been relaunched as this sort of like index or archive of a ton of different links. What has been the feedback around it? I'm curious because I think like I find so many little interesting topics in there. One being, you know, the podcast topic. I I dig into there a little bit. Sustainability. I think you're having links and references that are at this time of like not only the political landscape, but design and climate change and all these things are really helpful. And I'm curious as, as if you've seen people reaching out to add even more or, you know, how are you kind of managing that? Not well, (laughs) just in general. Uh, Well, I relaunched the design of the site mainly because I was looking at how people were using the site Mm -hmm. and also the type of work that I wanted to be doing on it. I, like I said, I was never, I never wanted to be a blogger per se. Like I definitely enjoy the long form writing and being reflective with my thoughts, but I don't like the pressure cooker of like, you have to have like a new blog post every day Mm -hmm. or it's more about uh, quantity than quality. And I don't, I only want to write when I like have something to say, not just putting things out for the sake of it. Um, whereas, and I feel like a lot of the links and resources were something that people were visiting the site a lot for. And I find it super helpful as well. Like if anything, the website is just something for me and the, a byproduct is that other people find it useful too. And that's kind of how this whole thing has come about is that I think a lot of people think I do it for 
certain reasons that mm-hmm. aren't really correct. Like I actually mainly just do it for myself as selfish as that sounds. But I, you know, I have this idea in the back of my head, very similar to the, the website where I have so many things in Pinterest, so many things in one thing or the other. It's like, I just want to personalize John archive just for me. Yeah. And only I know how to navigate it in like a very unique way or something like that. And it's sort of sounds like that is the intention behind it from the, from the start. Yeah. I think intention is a really good word actually, in the sense that with Pinterest and even Instagram, like a lot of these platforms, it's more about, again, just quantity. Like you can really mm-hmm. easily save things, whereas in to intentionally write something down and file it in a way where you're like, this is useful, it kind of has to pass a certain pressure test to make it onto the site. Um, Agreed. So yeah, it's, it's quality control, it's good. I believe, you can tell me if I'm wrong, a passion for typography. Yes. Um, I tend to nerd out a lot over new fonts and finding new fonts and trying to use them in any possible situation. But not only that, but a lot of your work, you tend to explore also elements of photography and illustration. And I'm curious if, if that's like something that you are looking to achieve over time as you grow as a designer, um, or if that's being able to stay fluent in those categories when the situations arise to know how to step in and kind of, you know, direct or whatever it may need to be. Yeah, I think it's more about remaining a jack of all trades. Like Mm -hmm. I think that I'm too, uh, I'm just not able to focus on one thing basically. Like I love a lot of different things and I think I accepted a long time ago that I'm never really going to be the best at any one of those things. Agreed. Yeah, so it's mainly just whatever I have an interest in at the time. I think that it took me a while to figure it out, but I'm definitely a brand designer in mm-hmm. the sense of thinking about things holistically. And so I think you need to have an understanding, even if it's just a basic level understanding of a lot of things to kind of see the bigger picture and have empathy for other people who are rolling something out that maybe you can't do yourself and being able to understand their language and appreciate the, the value and effort that they bring to a project. I think that's a a big pill to swallow for some people. I know it was for me for a while where I felt like I had to do everything really well. And doing this podcast, I've been able to talk to a few people that, you know, we've talked about like being a generalist versus a specialist. And there's a lot of value in being able to kind of speak all these different facets of design and creativity versus saying being able to knock out like an amazing photograph and then also being able to edit it and like throw the type on there and something like that. Like it's great when you can do those experiments or those projects but um, it's better to facilitate the idea than it is to execute completely all from beginning to finish. Yeah, it's just a lot to expect of any one person (laughs) to to begin with. And the rate of that software updates and trying to stay on top of all of that, it's, it's a lot to be an incredible photographer, to know how to code, to know how to write, to know how to put a brand presentation together and actually pitch an idea. So I think that there's kind of two really important things and that's one, recognizing what you enjoy doing Mm. and two, what you're good at that falls under that and kind of putting those two together because there's a lot of things that I'm good at that I really don't enjoy doing and it took me a really long time to figure out that I don't have to do it just because I'm good at it. I remember taking a I don't know why I just like decided I was going to lean into coding and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be like this designer that codes all these cool, fancy things. And there are people that are like that. There are amazing people that are able to like think of a really crazy experiment or execution and like build it like that. I think I love that idea, but 
I learned after like three books from Amazon that I was not going to be able to just jam all the coding knowledge into my head. It just never stuck. Um, On your website, on your portfolio, you have worked with clients and partners like Red Bull. Um, I also want to call it Ableton because I'm familiar with them. and I think they're such a cool brand. They are a really cool brand. Super awesome. Yeah. Um, You've also worked with, been able to work with an Australian French cafe, but you've also been able to make uh, a book around shit your friend Sharon says. <laughs> oh my God. She's going to kill me that this has come up. <laughs> well, I think it's great because, you know, I'm curious how much of your work is that like professional or the work that you show is professional versus say like passion, you know, like is for more of the tickling that side of your brain or getting that kind of creative like bug out. Yeah. Oh God, she's going to kill me for this. But um, there was actually, there's a version two that has just happened last weekend. So I just spent the weekend in Vegas uh, and it was for her 30th birthday. Okay. And then Christoph, who was the illustrator for the original book, Shit Sharon Says, we teamed up again. (laughs) And because she was turning 30, we knew we had to make a big deal out of it. Um, And we actually did like a little installation here in the character studio (laughs) because she was in New York. Um, so he did another bunch of illustrations that were based on a song that I wrote for her. You wrote a song. <laughs> we wrote a song. It's a limerick, which is a traditional Irish song. She's Irish. Okay. And um, we turned it into like a karaoke song. So again, like I roped a ton of people <laughs> into this project and it blew up so much bigger than I was expecting. But That's awesome. He did all these illustrations that were based on the lyrics. And then Shu, one of the designers here at Character, I roped her into like doing the animation for me and turning it into a karaoke type song and then we did temporary tattoos and it this just is so it was, awesome yeah it was a huge thing so I, I need to document all of it because yeah it just got out of control really quickly but she simultaneously I think wants to kill us and loves us <laughs> for doing it at the same time but she's yeah like, why are you making such a big deal out of this guys yeah because she's amazing that's well, awesome yeah she's incredible so this is an example of like a passion project though yeah right where it's just it's, like fully for the love of doing it and and for your friend as well. I think it's, some people have like, oh, I need to do a side project, so I got to think of something. For me, it's more like, I feel like I'm going to explode if this idea doesn't come out of me in sure. some way. Like, I, I almost like, I can't carry this any longer. I need to like, put it outside of me, totally. if that makes sense. I think that's also how the newsletter came about as well. If, if you don't, do you just like actually explode and then regenerate as well? Pretty much. <laughs> I might spontaneously combust. I haven't let it get that far, but I would probably just describe myself as a high-functioning, anxious person. So mm-hmm. if I'm not doing things and feeling productive, I, yeah, don't feel great. Are so. you a Virgo? I knew you were going to ask me this. I was leading into this because you were going <laughs> to ask me what sign I am. <laughs> this is such a New York thing too. Yeah, well, it's funny because I've worked on a, uh, I've worked on a horoscope app in the last two years. Mm-hmm. So I'm like super educated now. Okay. I mean, not the best, but I know what yeah. I am and I know what the qualities are of that. I have literally been asked if I'm a Virgo so many times since moving to New are York. Are you not? I'm a Virgo moon. I don't know what that means. So yeah, that's above. <laughs> that's that's way above me. Okay. So my main sign is Taurus. Okay. But then apparently you have three signs. This is something that I learned yep, as that's well. That's a thing. So one of my signs is Virgo. Okay. Uh, which actually, now that I'm learning more about it, makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so yes, I am in a way. I don't know. I don't want to figure out those other two planets. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so this mix of of passion projects and professional projects. Do you think that over time it sort of changes where 
eventually they just sort of converge and you're just doing only the stuff that you love or is it always going to be like do you always imagine it being like this mix and one always wins out more than the other in some in certain situations Mm, yeah I don't know I feel like that's the constant struggle right but I also feel like things like the shit Sharon says or and version two which is holy shit Sharon's 30 (laughs) um (laughs) things like that like they don't they're never going to have a professional um lens to them in the sense that they're not commercially viable in a lot of ways you know Mm -hmm. like and I think the reason why I can have so much fun with those projects is because I never feel the pressure to look through that lens and it's a really I think in in my at least for me I need that contrast of like having very specific client work the type of work that I do at character which I also really enjoy it's not to say that I don't love that work I think that that's also something that's important to define I think there's a lot of value in both sides to it but then things like the side projects that are literally just stupid creative outlets to make my friend laugh then I think that's that's something that really fuels the work I do at character and then and vice versa so um I feel like a lot of the work that I've done here and have learned from um the creative directors and partners in New York um Manny and Virgilio is that you know, everything is connected and, and different things feed the other. So a lot of the work um, that I've done here and they've influenced definitely affects the the side projects that I do and the work that I did for Sharon as well. Totally. <laughs> um, so you're now at Character here in New York in yes. Dumbo. You went straight from Berlin to New York, correct? Or did you, was there a time, a little moment back in Sydney or back in Australia? Uh, I mean, the cliff notes. It was via... So I did go back to Australia, but I went all over Australia. It was like Newcastle, Tamworth, Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, a few times around. And then I went to Hawaii and then I went to New York and then Peru and then San Francisco. That sounds awesome. Oh, and Barbados in there somewhere too. Oh, and then just forgot. back to New York. <laughs> so I basically lived out of a suitcase for like three months and traveled around. That's awesome. Um, chasing a visa pretty much and then... Just Finally. kind of waiting for it to, to land somewhere. Pretty much. Nice. I mean, that's why I had to go to Barbados was to get my visa. It was, it was terrible. As Barbados you can for a visa? Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. In Australia, like you, you can get this visa and you can't get it within the United States. Okay. So you have to go there, pick it up. It's, yeah. It sounds like a, like a Super Mario game where you have to go get Kinda the items. Is, yeah. Um, what drew you to character or, you know, like what was that process like of of finding a studio that you identified with and how you landed here? I was definitely looking for a branding studio. That was something that I was really intentional about and was doing a lot of research into the type of studios in New York. And Character's been in San Francisco for 20 years, but they've only recently opened up in New York maybe two years ago. And how I kind of came across it was through a random Slack group that I'm in. people were talking about how this guy Virgilio was leaving RGA and starting up a place in New York. And I wasn't even really like chatting in this group or anything. I was just kind of like watching it unfold. I was like, what is, what is this about? Like, I don't really know that they had a New York studio. And then a lot of the people in this group were from RGA and had worked with him and were speaking really highly of him. And it was a private Slack channel, you know, like they didn't have to be saying these things. It wasn't Mm -hmm. going anywhere. Um, So I was like, who is this guy? I'm going to have to look into this send an email 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of how it came about originally. You're a senior designer now, and having also recently went through this sort of level shift, right? Like you're designer, junior designer. It's sort of like a little vague gray area of just like you're doing and making stuff. Do you find that being a senior designer now, the roles and responsibilities have sort of changed and shifted slightly? Um, yes and no. Like mm-hmm. I think there's definitely like a, a responsibility in terms of where you are in a studio and what you're expected to bring to the table. Um, but I even think as a junior designer, like I had really high expectations of myself and what I was expected to deliver, whether my creative directors felt that way or not. I've always put in mm-hmm. probably an insane amount of pressure on myself to be performing. So yeah, I would say yes in terms of like the output, but maybe not in terms of internal dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. I think like over time in in the last two, three years as a designer here in New York, personally, I feel like I've had to learn so much in the last year or so. Like I've mm-hmm. had to teach myself new things. I've had to like learn new platforms and stuff like that. And I'm curious if, if you find yourself having to learn new things on the go and how do you think the role of a designer is changing like it's not just like InDesign and Photoshop no it's not like that at all anymore it's all the things and this is like only five years yeah which is kind of nuts it's gonna get worse too (laughs) I think coming back to the point we're talking about before like you can't be expected to be exceptional at all of these areas but there there has to be a willingness to learn otherwise it's just not gonna happen for you you know like I think different studios require different things. And I've definitely taken away a lot from each of the places that I've worked, whether that be branding at um, a place like Houston or art direction and smile in the mind type ideas from someone like Chris um, to, I learned a lot about coding and web design in Berlin. And now I feel like I'm collectively using all of those things back in working in a branding studio. But here we have like a very, we do a lot of motion, for example, and I am absolutely shocking at After Effects. I panic every time Good I have to bad. open it. Bad. I'm just like, ugh. <laughs> um, but we have a lot of really talented motion designers, and I feel like that's something that I'm definitely switching gears into, whether that's just thinking in motion and understanding like that language, because I feel like I don't understand that at all. Well, at least I didn't when I started, and I'm slowly kind of getting a better grasp on motion design. Even if that's just like knowing how to set up the files to hand over to a motion <laughs> designer. It's, Super valid. So. It really is. Yep. Yeah. So I think like, again, collaborating with people and having that em- like shared empathy for what their part of the project is and kind of figuring out how best to work together to realize an idea. As roles of our day-to-day jobs change ever so slightly, we'll have to kind of run with the punches. Um, Are there any goals that you have, you're holding personally for yourself and and either your career or just like outside of being a designer every day? Um, Always, I guess. (laughs) I don't know, I'm always striving to be better, definitely. I think that there is never gonna be an end point to that feeling. And I think I accepted that a long time ago. And for people that know me, just have had to accept that about me as well, that there's never gonna be like an end to the madness, I don't think. <laughs> just run off the side of the, the world, basically. Yeah, I mean, I just think that that's part of it, is just continually lo- learning and trying to be better at being a designer. And I don't think that necessarily means better on the tools. You know, I think it, it just means getting better in general. <laughs> like, if you're a better person, you're generally a better designer and vice versa. 
I agree with that. Gabby, where can people find more of your work and potentially stay in contact with you? Uh, well, I have two websites. So at gabbylord.com or at omglord.com. And OMG Lord is the wonderful index archive yes. collection of resources. It is. Probably yeah. go there first. It's probably more useful, to be honest. <laughs> Gabby, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. This podcast is produced by me, John Sarantino, out in Jersey City, New Jersey. Editing, mixing, and music are all done by my friend Kevin Bendis in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Definitely check him out. You can find out more about WellFed and where to listen at wellfedpodcast.com or on social media at WellFedPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you soon.